Hi, I'm Melissa Corkum. I blog at our family website, www.thecorkums.com, which we affectionately call The Corkboard. This is the Uncorked Podcast, conversations with everyday extraordinary people, people who have conquered, people making a difference in their worlds, brave and beautiful people, but people who in the end are just like you and me. If there's one thing I've learned over the past 10 years, it's about how much I didn't know that I didn't know and how much I still don't know. Our experiences and adoption and loving kids who have aged out of the foster care system, living in the country but owning a coffee shop in the city, and just traveling internationally have so greatly expanded our horizons and shifted our paradigms. And hopefully we're better humans for it. The one common theme through all of those experiences though was just listening to people's stories. Patty Dye once said, the shortest distance between two people is a story. So pull up a chair and an open mind and meet another one of my everyday extraordinary friends. Welcome to episode 29 of the Uncorked podcast. This week's guest is coach Jamie Beckler. He's a professional speaker, leader trainer, and executive business coach, and former college basketball coach. This was convenient since we recorded this just days after my alma mater managed the largest upset in NCAA tournament history. We chat about his journey to being an adoptive dad and some of his misconceptions along the way, including what type of child he requested the social worker find for him and his wife. I think you'll appreciate Jamie's vulnerability and honesty about his story. I apologize in advance for the random sounds and distortions that haunt the show. They're mainly just when I'm talking. So goes the life of an amateur podcaster. Here's my conversation with Jamie. Well, hey, Jamie, welcome to the Uncorked Podcast. And Melissa, it's great to be with you. Uh, Before I get started, I just have to say, because I know that you come from the basketball coaching world, and this is going to air long after the glitz and glitter probably has worn off, but I'm hoping to ride this for a long time, but I am a UMBC grad. You're a, you're a retriever, huh? I am. I'm a retriever, and it's a Chesapeake Bay retriever, so all of those Airbud references are completely wrong, but we had a really fun weekend. Yeah, you know, I, I did not even know that there were different kinds of retrievers. I thought golden retriever was the only kind, and so uh, if nothing else, that's what I learned uh, during the NCAA tournament when they, when they uh, became the first 16 seed to ever beat a one seed. Yeah, I mean, those are important things to know. Um, My husband and I actually are both alum from UMBC, and so often when people ask us where we went to school, we'll say UMBC, and then we kind of have to, there's a long explanation about how it's part of the University of Maryland system, but it's in Baltimore County, and, you know, all of these things. And um, he's kind of in the market for a new job situation, and he was like, oh my gosh, I'm totally going to update my resume, and like UMBC is going to be the first thing in really big letters across the top. I'm never going to have to explain myself ever again. Well, it's a great story. In, in, in the course of 24 hours, their athletic website, or excuse me, their athletic uh, Twitter page gained 75,000 followers. I know. It was hysterical. Uh, I mean, he was probably the biggest, like almost as big of a story as the actual games. So. Yeah, so we don't, we don't, you know, sometimes we think of people going viral with like YouTube or, or you know, a cat video or something like that or, or whatever. And, uh, and this, uh, this sports information director, this uh, publicist for UMBC went viral with uh, all of his tweets during the game. And essentially he was calling out all the people that, that uh, uh, you know, bet against him or, or said that they didn't stand a chance, which is pretty much the entire population of college basketball fans, but it was very fun to watch. Yeah, well, I mean, we aren't known for our athletics. We give more chess scholarships than athletic scholarships. So, I mean, all of those things were probably super founded. Um, My favorite sweatshirt in the school bookstore says UMBC football undefeated. Well, I happen to know uh, the athletic director there. We went to uh, grad school together, and uh, we've kept in touch. And, and I've actually visited UMBC this past year um, and, and met with him, and, and I'm supposed to go back there and do some leadership training. And uh, so uh, excited about that. But, uh, you know, they opened up a new arena, and, uh, you know, they've been doing a lot of building there, and it's a good school. So it was a good story, and, and I know uh, UMBC is, is going to profit a little bit from this as well. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. So, yeah, fun, fun weekend for sure. I'm kind of sad. I missed the first game because, of course, I I don't follow sports a ton. Um, Probably, if I had known, I probably would have watched it just for, 
you know, old-time sake, but I had no idea until I woke up the next morning, and I was feeling kind of sad that I wasn't, you know, kind of in the live Twitter situation. But I did watch the game, I guess, Sunday night, um, which was a great game as well. Anyway, well, go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners. You are a man of many talents. Um, so kind of what's your elevator speech? <laughs> someone's kind of just meeting you. What do you tell them? <laughs> well, man of many talents. That's, uh, I've never been introduced that way. I appreciate that. I, I do know how to juggle. Um, so that's that's something I enjoy doing. But, uh, you know, my background is fairly diverse, though it, it's mainly from an athletic standpoint. But uh, I played a lot of sports growing up, coached college basketball for 20 years. I was an athletic director. I was a professor. And then uh, a couple of years ago, I moved into leadership development, leadership training space, uh, public speaking space full time. I uh, got out of organized athletics, wanted to have a bigger platform, wanted to reach more people. And so uh, moved into that space. And so I've been doing this for a couple of years. Uh, essentially, I'm uh, an entrepreneur. Uh, I have my own business. I have a few different things that we do. We write some books. We have a podcast ourselves. And uh, we do a lot of public speaking, traveling across the country at conferences or, or just working with teams or businesses. Yeah, that's awesome. So you're a John Maxwell guy, aren't you? I was just checking out your website. You know, obviously, I, I kind of know him as a name. I haven't ever, to confess, never read any of the books. But someone just invited me to a John Maxwell book club like that starts probably like yesterday. I think I'm a little behind already. But so what? So what do I need to know about that if I'm going to jump into like a John Maxwell book? Do you have any <laughs> He's a great storyteller. So his books are going to be full of stories. And if you ever get to see him live, uh, he's somebody that could go without a script for hours and hours. And, and he's somebody that if you met him, you would feel like, uh, you know, he, He's your he's your long lost uncle or a grandpa or you know a friend. Uh, you, you would not feel weird around him. He makes everybody feel pretty comfortable and and he's very uh, outgoing, and and that's a lot of what his leadership is. A lot of his leadership is teaching through stories and also making connection and adding value to people. And and so the way that he lives his life and the way he interacts with people and engages with people is is the same principles that he puts out there. And and you know he's 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 written over a hundred books and and one of them. I love the title of it. The book is good too, but I love the title. It's uh, everybody communicates, but few connect. Mm -hmm. And that's, and, and that seems to be the way that he goes about interacting with people as well. He, he's definitely a very good communicator, but he wants to connect with people because, you know, let's face it when, when we're, when we're looking to to believe somebody or be persuaded by somebody or buy something that someone's selling, we want to buy from those that we know, like, or trust. And so, you know, he, he kind of lives that out and he feels like if you're not making a connection with people, then they're not going to know, like, and trust you. And, and at the end of the day, we're all salespeople in some way. We might not be selling vacuum cleaners door to door or we might not be, uh, you know, selling insurance policies or whatever, but we're all selling something to somebody at some point. And so, you know, if we're going to do that most effectively, we have to communicate or, or we have to not only communicate, but we also have to connect with those people so they know, like, and trust us. So, yeah, you know, the John Maxwell stuff, over 100 books, you know, he, he is probably the foremost leadership expert in the world. Um, you know, he's, he's impacted so many people and he impacted my life as a coach as well. And so uh, I, I wanted to get some certification. I wanted to get some uh, additional training. And so I, I felt like it was a natural fit for me to go through the John Maxwell training. Uh, it took about a year and, and uh, got trained by him and his, and his teaching staff. So it was, it was a fun time. Well, you've sold me. I'm a huge fan already just from your description. And it's so true about the sales thing. I don't have a sales background, but have found myself in an entrepreneurial situation where the majority of my income producing work is sales and have done just a lot of training and, and reframing of that over the past like year and a half. And um, we are all salespeople. And even if you're trying to sell your two-year-old to put on his shoes, it's a, it's a sales gig. Um, we just don't like to think about it too much. So you're absolutely right. What drew you out of athletics and kind of into this leadership marketplace, this leadership coaching world? Well, there was a couple things uh, that that brought it to a head. Number one is that I had gotten out of coaching a couple years pr previous and went into full-time administration thinking that I wanted to be an athletic director for the rest of my life. And, uh, and once I was a full-time head athletic director, I realized that that wasn't really what I wanted to do. Um, but at that point, getting back into coaching is not the easiest thing to do once you've been out of it for a couple years. So I had to make a decision at that point. I, I wasn't 
you know, I didn't really want to leave athletics, but I wasn't enjoying being an athletic director where I was in the office all the time, had to have essentially office hours. Uh, and as a college coach, you know, you have to be in the office a little bit, but you're on the court, you're out recruiting, you're out and about. Um, as an athletic director, I was an administrator that was in the office uh, a lot more than I wanted to be. And then coupled that, that coupled with the fact that I really wanted, I thought that there was a message that needed to be uh, taught or, or communicated with people about leadership and, and how they could be better leaders and how they could have more influence over people. And, and I wanted to share that message. And I thought that if I, uh, if I was just kind of uh, pigeonholed into one school, certainly I could go deep at that school with those people there, but I didn't have as wide of a net. I didn't toss that, that net very wide. And, and so I wasn't maybe able to impact as many people and I wanted to impact more people. And so, uh, you know, the, those kind of things put together. And plus, I didn't want to be the guy who, who didn't see his kid. Uh, that kid grew up and all of a sudden, you know, it's like, wow, all of a sudden he's 10 and all of a sudden he's 15 and all of a sudden, you know, I'm paying for his college. And I never knew the kid because I was always at school. I was always doing athletics. I was always, you know, putting in 15, 16-hour days. And so I didn't want to do that. I wanted to uh, kind of be in control of when I worked. And so, or, you know, I might work a lot as an entrepreneur or as a public speaker, but I was going to kind of choose when I worked. And so all that kind of came together. And so I uh, got into full-time public speaking and full-time leadership training, and, and I've enjoyed it, certainly. Certainly, there's been challenges, as you know, you know, trying to, to build a, a self-revenue business or be self-employed to a degree. But, uh, you know, it was almost like going back to my first couple years of coaching when I was a grad assistant. Uh, you know, you're learning the ropes. And for me, you know, you're learning the ropes. And so, uh, but it's been, it's been great and it's been very uh, impactful on my life as well. I've, I've, uh, I've gotten to be around my kid a whole lot more. It got to be around my wife a whole lot more. I'm not sure that she enjoys that as much, but uh, <laughs> You know, it's one of those things I think, be careful what you wish for. She wanted me to be home more, and then when I'm home more, I think she would like me to get a, def a different job. Yeah, I, <laughs> I totally get that. That's hysterical. Well, besides that whole, like, wh what your wife got that was unexpected, what do you think has been your most kind of most unexpected discovery you've kind of made being out in this field instead of back on the court? <laughs> well, for one, the most unexpected thing, I wasn't quite prepared for being my own boss. I'm pretty disciplined, pretty self-controlled, but uh, I wasn't ready for having a home office and setting my own hours and then having my son around at times, you know, what happens when he, my wife is going back to work. And so I pick up my son from school. Now he's around, but I still have a few hours of work to do. You know, that was stuff that I wasn't really prepared for. So I've been, uh, I've been learning how to, uh, how to handle that, been learning how to be my own boss, been learning how to work while watching my son at the same time. But, you know, that aside, one of the most unexpected things I think for me was I'm amazed at how many people, uh, whether they're in business or sports, are not coachable. And they don't really want to get better. They just want things to be easy and things to be, they want the familiar, they want to be comfortable. They really don't want to improve. And so they're leaving a lot on the table. They're, they're not reaching their potential or they're not helping their people, their team uh, whether it's a business team or a sports team reached their potential. And, and that's not what I was maybe ready for because I was always someone that wanted to grow, wanted to learn. If something wasn't working, I wanted to be better at it. And so I assumed other people were like that. And, and that's been a little surprising as I go out and consult, as I go out and try to train and, and develop people that they're maybe not always as coachable as, as they probably need to be. Yeah, I understand that for sure. I have always been curious about what makes a person react to a certain situation. Like, why do some people get dealt this really crappy hand and climb out and they're overcomers and they're achievers and they're coachable and teachable? And, and then why do others seem to fold under that, the same pressures or, you know, all, just all of our different reactions and you know, even in parenting and, and some coaching and leadership that I've done, like, you know, how do you, you want so badly for people to see the world in your way, you know, and you see their potential and you think if you could just, you know, X, Y, or Z and 
it, it's really, it is super fascinating. Um, I just recently, I've kind of always been a fan of personality tests, but just recently started deep diving into a couple, and that has been really eye-opening. It's given me a lot of language. It's given me a lot of thought systems to think through about, you know, why a person would jump at an opportunity versus, you know, kind of be like, eh, you know, thanks for the information, but I'm not, you know, I'm not quite there yet. So I don't know if, have you, is that something that you kind of studied or thought about a whole lot? I haven't studied the, uh, you know, necessarily the why as much, uh, getting into the deep psychological part of, of people's personalities. I deal more with just their behavior now and how we can maybe uh, work to adjust it a little bit and maybe uh transition or tweak it or tweak it so that they can transition into maybe a, a more successful behavior. You know, I probably should dive a lot more into that to know why someone is the way they are. But, you know, honestly, I've even thought that about myself and I'm like, I don't really know why I am how I am. I know there's been some times in my life where, where I've had, some, where there's been some pivots or there's been some pivotal moments, but you know, I, I don't know always why, because you know, you look at, I have a sibling and you know, we're alike in a lot of ways, but in some key ways, we're very different. Yet we had the same upbringing. We had the same parents, you know, lived in the same house. And so I don't know that. What I do understand is, is that there are differences and that people do have different backgrounds or different mindsets, different personalities, you know, it's important for us to recognize that, understand that, and work within those, those frameworks um, that you and I might be different. You know, someone else and, my, and I might be different. You know, uh, someone else and I might be the same, you know, in a lot of ways. And so you work within those, that context. And so I do a lot of work with that. Even when I was a college basketball coach, you know, if I have 15 players, they all came from a different background. Or even if they were from the same school or the same street they lived on, let's say, they still might have different experiences. And so everybody's unique, and so you treat them a little bit differently. You work with them, and you find out what makes them tick and what motivates them, what their hopes and dreams are. And so, yeah, I probably should dive a little bit more into their backgrounds or the, the, the why. Um, but I have enough on my plate just trying to uh, to uh, to understand someone a little bit what they're doing now and and uh, and try to see their point of view. Yeah. Well, if you ever want a deep dive, it's one of my like most favorite things is to look back and and figure all those things out. So I want to circle back around. You mentioned you know part of your decision to come into the leadership coaching arena outside of the sports arena was family oriented and driven by just this you know, desire to have more flexibility, more control over your time, more time with your family. So did you already have a family when you made that jump? And, you know, did you kind of always envision how your career would intersect with family life? Yeah, that's a, uh, that the answer to that question would be, I never really thought of family much. Uh, my whole career. A career came first, pretty much. My goals growing up was never really to be married, was never really to have kids, never really to have a family. I wasn't against that. It just wasn't my driving goal. My goal was to be a very successful college basketball coach. That was my goal. Um, I had different, you know, sub goals or, or shorter term goals, like when I wanted to be a coach, what age, uh, where at, those kind of things, and what success looked at looked like. But my whole career was pretty much uh, about my career, and and even when I met my wife, we fell in love. Uh, you know, it was it was definitely she was definitely the right person for me, and I hope she feels like I was the right person for her still. But you know, we when we got married, she became a coaching widow. You know, she became a coach's wife, and uh, everything our relationship revolved around coaching. So she was very close to her family. So. I took her away from her family for a long time because uh, her family lived in the north and we moved to the south as soon as we got married and we just traveled around a lot as, as a coach. And so we were never anywhere for very long as a college coach. And so, you know, everything was uh, revolving around my job and my next job. And so, uh, you know, definitely we had a great relationship. We had a great marriage, but everything revolved around the career. And so, uh, Eventually, we did. We we adopted Jalen, and uh, you know he he at this point he's eight years old and he's lived in four different houses. Um, he's eight years old, lived in four different houses. So 
but I think, uh, you know, in my new job where, where we're pretty set, we actually moved back to where my wife grew up. It's near her family, so I don't anticipate moving very much more. So that's good for Jalen. But, yeah, when we went into athletic administration, when, when I thought about getting out of athletics full time so I could spend more time with my family, that was certainly a uh, something that we looked at. And, and that was something that I evolved and, and I kind of grew in that philosophy of, you know, what what's most important. And it was – you know what, I'm, I'm raising all these other kids or I'm, I'm trying to help all these other people grow, all these teenagers or young adults grow, but I'm going to end up having a son that thinks I'm Uncle Jamie, you know, that I'm only home every once in a while and that I'm helping raise everybody else's kids but not my own kid. And so, you know, I kind of grew and evolved into that thinking. And so, uh, fortunately, I eventually came around. So probably my wife was praying for me a whole lot through the years about that. But we eventually came around to that, and so now it's great. Yeah, well, kudos to you for, again, being teachable, kind of reevaluating all the time and just kind of knowing where those leaps were and what those paradigm shifts needed to be because not everyone's got their thumb on that pulse. And so I really admire, you know, you kind of thinking through that and, and just making real decisions that were impactful and probably really hard at some points to, you know, know what you wanted that to look like for your family. So thank you. So tell me about, so, you know, you said getting married wasn't necessarily on your things to do list. You were like, great if it came along, great if it didn't. So what about kids? So married is one thing, kids are a whole nother situation. So how did that all play out? (laughs) Yeah, you know, I I wanted to get married if it happened. Uh, if it didn't happen, you know, so be it. I was I was the guy that every Friday night growing up in high school and every Saturday night, I, I rarely had dates. My date was a, a date at the playground to shoot hoops, you know, and that that preceded me. You know, that that same mentality went to college. That same mentality went into when I started coaching. It was all about my career. It was all about focused on athletics, and if something happened, it happened, and and. Uh, you know, I wasn't looking. You know, I wasn't looking for love. No, I wasn't looking for uh, anybody. And uh, and it just kind of happened. A, a few things got put in place, and and I met Tabitha, my wife, and and uh, you know, great things happened there. So when we're you know when we're engaged, uh, we're talking about all these hopes and dreams that we have and our goals for the future and everything. And so she's like, you know, we're talking about kids, and, and yeah, kids would be great. But I'm like. Uh, but the career comes first, and she agrees with that. You know, I don't know if she really agreed with it or if she just agreed with it because, you know, that's what you do when you're lovebirds. You agree with one another, I guess, when, when you're engaged. But, you know, we kind of agreed that, you know, early on in our career, we we would be uh, moving around a lot or whatever, and so it wouldn't be good to have kids. And then I become a head coach eventually, and it's like, well, we can't have kids now because I've really got to establish myself as a head coach. And then I, I go and, and get myself fired a few years later. And so then it's like, well, we can't have kids now because I don't make as much money and I've got to get back to being a head coach. And then you get back to being a head coach and then the cycle comes all over. Well, you got to prove yourself again. You know, last time I wasn't successful, so now I've got to. So you keep putting it off. You know, Jamie keeps putting it off as a career guy. And eventually it came to the point where uh, I really couldn't put it off much longer. You know, we had been married for nine or ten years. And finally my wife just kind of put down the put her foot down and said, you know, we've got to have kids. Well, so we decided to adopt. You know, we went through the adoption process. I still wasn't on board with having kids um, because I was still pretty selfish or still self-absorbed, at least in my career. And so we we, – you know, went to the adoption process, and, and my attitude wasn't good going into it, but uh, we mentioned earlier, you know, talking about the NCAA tournament and, and you know, your, 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 your alma mater, UMBC, and all that. Well, when, I was going, when we were going through the adoption process and those meetings, it happened to correspond to, like, the three weeks of the NCAA tournament, and I absolutely did not want to be at those meetings, didn't want to be, because I was missing games, and so... I kind of had a bad attitude going into it, and then this was like the cherry on top, so to speak. I mean, it was the, or the straw that broke the camel's back, however you want to say it. And I'm like, man, not only do I not really want to have kids, but I'm missing these games right now to be at a meeting I don't want to be at. And so, uh, you know, that was rough. And so we, we finally get approved, and I'm like, 
this is fine. We got approved. I don't really have to worry because, you know, we were talking with some people uh, that had also gone through the program, and, you know, it had been two years since they got approved, and they still didn't have uh, a child. And so I'm like, okay, well, maybe it'll be a, a year or two from now, and by then maybe we'll be too old, and I can convince my wife that we don't have to do this. So that didn't happen. So real quick, less than a month after we got approved, we got a phone call saying that this mother, this birth mother wanted to meet us, uh, wanted, was looking through our portfolio and wanted to, uh, was very interested in us as, as adoptive parents. And so we met with her and we had, we knew that it was, uh, her, her, her birth was scheduled for about 14 days, two weeks out. And that was crazy for me. Um, but then we met with her and she was like, oh, so good news. Good news. The doctor says that he's going to induce labor on Wednesday. And I'm like counting on my fingers. And I'm like, that's like five days away. And I have our, I have our first game of the year on that. It's like, that's just crazy. So uh, she was really excited. I was not excited at all. But uh, we ended up deciding to go with it. And uh, we met her at the hospital. We, uh, we had, uh, you know, she, she delivered Jalen. And uh, like, like an absolute naive guy that I was, I assumed that, you know, the baby will pop out, boom, spend two hours with it, you know, with it. Um, that's how I was thinking with, with the baby and then, uh, and my wife, and then uh, jump in the car, drive back, coach the game. You know, that's what I'm thinking. Well, no, not, you know, every lady that's listening to this show right now knows that that's, they're just shaking their head right now. But, uh, you know, that was the way I thought. You know, ended up I missed the game that day, uh, obviously, and uh, but it was it was an amazing thing because it really you know I'd heard people say, oh a kid will change your life, and I was like, yeah, whatever, you know I'm tough, that won't that won't happen to me, and yeah, it it did, it happened to me, so uh, you know, and and my whole attitude, you know, was a bad attitude going in because it was a very selfish attitude and not understanding that, you know, a child would help bring my wife and I closer together. It would also help me be a better coach, uh, you know, a, a better leader, because I would start to understand what it was like, you know, when I dealt with parents, um, maybe when, when I uh, maybe understand a little bit better the responsibility I had with someone else's kids. So, you know, I, I think that that was good overall. So there was, there's a lot to chew on there. You know, I, I you know, there was some things I left out there, but certainly uh, a lot there to chew on. But uh, that was a, it was definitely an interesting time for me going through that. Yeah, I bet. Um, I'm just, this is just my nosy curiosity. Did a social worker during your uh, approval process, like, ever sit you down, look you in the eye and say, like, do you want to adopt? <laughs> I don't remember if they actually did that, but I do remember telling the social worker that I would really like if they could find me a kid that was like from a tall volleyball player who in high school who got pregnant by like the football player or a basketball player. And I was 100% serious on that. And they looked at me like I was purple and had fangs or something. They looked at me like the weirdest person, which I can understand like why. elbow you and leave you a bruise because that's what I would have done. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you know how you go through the process and, and there's some boxes you can check off. And there's yeah, some, absolutely. Well, I'm like, where's the box for an athletic kid? Um, because I'm thinking I'm a coach. I want a kid that's very athletic that's going to play sports. Um, you know, and, and I know dealing with sports that there's a lot of high school athletes that that get pregnant and and aren't ready to deal with a with a child and so I'm like hey can we not can we just look for those people can we like pigeonhole ourselves in you had a niche going on yes obviously that's naive and that's very narrow-minded I, I get that but I mean I still wanted a, a big-time athlete in my family I mean but uh but no I don't remember them sitting down and and absolutely you know saying you know do you want kids do you not want kids and, and I think I probably faked it enough um, for my wife's sake to a degree. Um, they knew that I wasn't excited, but they probably figured I would come around, which, which is what ended up happening. You know, there was, there was a number of things, you know, during the, during the process. And, and my wife was, was extremely patient, and she was definitely persistent. And I appreciate that. And the ladies at Bethany Christian Services were great uh, through the whole process. You know, they gave us a lot of information 
um, you know, they helped us through the process, you know, and, and I was also naive too. I was said, you know, well, I want, I want a kid that's like, I want a toddler, you know, I want someone that's like one or two years old. I don't want, cause I'm thinking, I don't want to go through that first year of, you know, the kid being up all the time, not knowing anything about child, childbearing or, 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 or uh, raising a child. And I'm glad that they talked me out, talked us out of that too. You know, you, you, I wanted a, you know, I wanted an easy kid. Um, which I'm not sure that those exist. I'm not sure life is easy. So, uh, but you know, I wanted as easy as possible. And I thought, well, if I didn't have to, you know, totally change diapers, and if I didn't have to put up with that first year, that would be easy. And and they were able to talk me down from that, and 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 help show me how uh, not only will it not necessarily be easy, but easier. But but you maybe don't make the connection. You maybe don't make. Um, you know, you're going to miss out on, on some of the best times. And so, you know, they were right. And so uh, I'm glad that we were able to adopt Jalen from birth. And, and it's been great. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll tell you as a mom of teenagers, the problems, it's not that they get easier or harder. I just think the older our kids get, the correlation is that the more intense all the things are. So, like, the great things are, I would say, even greater than infancy because there's I mean let's be honest there's only so many things like a three-day-old can do and so we all kind of experience the same things like they look at us for the first time they squeeze our finger for the first time like and those are awesome when we're going through them but the uniqueness of the highs that our older kids experience is just that much more special because you know by then they've developed all these personality traits and all of these things, but I'll tell you the challenges are just equally as crazy intense. So you get like, it's like it goes both ways on the intensity scale. And so, yeah, there's, there's nothing quote unquote, I mean, I, I know, you know, easier about, you know, adopting further up the, further up the age ladder. Although I will say that our first adoption was a toddler adoption because I was thinking similar thoughts. Like I was like, I'm done with sleepless nights. I'm done with infancy, like the whole thing. And I was ready to just jump in a toddlerhood. So um, well, and, nothing easy about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and in retrospect, you know, uh, the sleepless nights weren't, weren't a terrible thing for me because as a coach, I was watching film and, and scouting opponents on TV you know, at all hours anyway. So that wasn't a huge deal. And, uh, you know, I, I think Jalen slept a whole lot more then than he did, than he does now. And, well, I and, was just uh, going to say, sleepless nights are, the infants don't have the market cornered on sleepless nights either because we adopted some older kids and we had one of our older kids had plenty of sleepless nights. And so there is, there's not a strong correlation there between age and sleep for sure, um, which is largely unfortunate for me who I was thinking I was finished with that but <laughs> well what it really all came down to with me was just I was I was so absorbed with my career and I was looking for any excuse I could and I was naive and I didn't want to learn um, I wanted to stay ignorant <laughs> I didn't want to learn facts or truth um, I wanted to just keep thinking that well this, a kid is going to mess up my career um, or is going to get in my way um, and so, and I didn't want to hear anything else. And, and, you know, that's really, you know, we talked earlier in the podcast about, you know, the people I work with now, how they're not coachable sometimes. Well, as <laughs> I wasn't very coachable at that point, I didn't want to learn. I didn't want to improve. Um, and, and I didn't want to, uh, to bring additional joy to my wife, you know, the, you know, marriage is a partnership. And, and at that point, it was, I was the head of this marriage. Um, I was in charge of this marriage and it wasn't necessarily a partnership. It was, I was going to get my way. And so, uh, you know, I'd gotten my way most of my career and most of my life. And so, you know, that was something that, you know, got in the way of me being very coachable in this and, and me developing as a leader and leading my wife and leading my family and, and leading others probably to that degree. So I was glad that my wife got her way. I was glad that, uh, that uh, God intervened or, or uh, you know, that my wife was just so strong that, that she didn't put up with my junk. Yeah, well, you're being super vulnerable, and I really appreciate that, just sharing exactly where you've come from and 
all the different things that you've learned because I know that's probably not an easy thing to own up to, especially um, on a podcast where I would say probably the majority of our listeners are women. So <laughs> kudos again to you for that. Um, and I, what I love about that story and I love about what you're sharing is that it's going to connect with a lot of people because I think you're saying a lot of things out loud that we're all thinking. And I also love that so often I think – especially as Americans, we come into adoption thinking that we have a solution for something and thinking that, you know, we can, we can help a child and that a child needs our love and, you know, we can provide a home and, um, and it also, you know, it seems like a win-win to us because if we're looking to grow our family and if there's an infertility situation or whatever, you know, it just, it seems like this perfect puzzle piece. And, and I've talked about this with other guests on the podcast. It's not nearly that clean as our brains kind of like to make it. But so often what I hear from families is that adoption does this transformative work in a family and in the parents and in, in us as individuals that we didn't expect and that it wasn't about us being the helpers all along. Like we had something to learn in the process and God has used these stories and these kids that he brings into our lives to do just that. Like we're not doing anyone any favors. Like we are the ones that are that need to be coachable, that need to be changed. Um, and so I love how your story kind of reflects that. That's a great point. It, ironically, our story is the opposite. I, was, I wasn't a draggy per se, but it, it wasn't my grand idea. But what would you say to the dads that might be listening who are just kind of not sure what this whole adoption thing is all about? And I feel, on a side note, I feel really passionate about, you know, not placing kids with families that haven't figured out how to be right on the same page because I've also seen it turn out not so great. And I'm super, super thankful that that was a tool that you were, that was God used to really change and mold and shape your heart. But, um, but what would you say to those families? Um, maybe both. Like what would you say to the wives? Because you obviously have a lot of respect for how your wife handled the situation. And then what would you say to the guys that are, like, just not sure? <laughs> well, I would say to the wives, just just be patient, be persistent, and realize that guys are idiots sometimes. And and the wives know that already. But, but just, <laughs> you know, sometimes guys are, are pretty narrow-minded or pretty, um, pretty shallow in their thinking. Uh, about some things like that, and so uh, and certainly we're general. Uh, certainly we're generalizing because, like like you said in your in your case, you dragged your feet a little bit more than your husband did. You know, so so we're talking generalizations here. But but be patient, be persistent, and share your feelings with with your husband. You know, have an honest talk with him when he's not watching sports or doing the thing that he really wants to do. Pick the right time. Don't don't be that person with you know, a minute to go in a close game and you're going to have a serious talk, but, but figure out, you know, and figure out what makes your husband tick. What, what will, what will speak to him? And, and for the husbands, um, you know, I mean, there's a reason you got married and, and there's a reason, you know, when you took those vows and, and when you were in love and hopefully still are in love with your wife, you know, you're supposed to cherish her and, and, not just her looks and not just open car doors for her and take out the trash, but, you know, listen to her. And, and, you know, if, if your wife is serious about something like this, a kid is, is a huge deal. Like that's, that's life changing and, and not just life changing for a year or two and not just for you. It's for a lot of people and it's for, you know, decades, generations, you know, that's a legacy type uh, decision. And so, uh, you know, it's not like picking the carpet color. It's not like deciding what size TV to buy. You know, if your wife really is serious about getting, having kids and, and adopting, then you need to really seriously sit down and listen to her and listen to why and, and be open to that. Because if she's going to throw that out there, then it's, it's serious. It's not like, oh, we just need a new TV or even we need a new car. This is a big deal that, that has life-changing, legacy-changing type uh, implications. Yeah, I love that. So, like you said, it's their heart issues, their big deals, 
And I, I just love that encouragement that it is, it's a big, it's a big deal. And so to just treat it that way and on all sides from all aspects, you know, from everything from the timing to when you talk about it to just really considering the weight of it as not just another request, like you said, for new curtains or a car or whatever, but, you know, the, the heart behind, you know, can we consider adoption for our family is, uh, is deep usually with a, lot, with a lot of meaning behind it. So those are good words. Well, just to wrap up our conversation, um, this is kind of something that I ask all my guests. What is your go-to life hack these days? Hmm. Listen, listen, to, uh, listen to podcasts, and in particular uh, your podcast. But uh, since you're asking me, there's this great podcast called Success is a Choice Podcast, and uh, I would highly recommend that for people who want to be successful. If you don't want to be successful, then don't listen to that podcast. But Success is a Choice Podcast, we interview a lot of people from a lot of different areas, um, all talking about how to be successful in life. And, and uh, you can learn a lot from people that are authors, people that are actors, Miss USA fitness trainers. It doesn't matter. They all have uh, things that that insights that they can share. So I, I love podcasts. I think that's one of the best ways to uh, to increase your knowledge, increase your wisdom, increase your 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 perspective, be more open minded, get more insights, be better, be more successful. So I love podcasts, and you can also read books. Um, I, I just I love knowledge. But I also love, you know, purposely teach, purposely making yourself be open-minded and be and and entertain other ideas. So, you know, I'll read a book or listen to podcasts of people that maybe I don't think I would agree with. So, you know, for instance, if if you're somebody out there that only watches, let's say, CNN or only watches Fox, maybe watch the other one for a few days. You know, maybe read a book. If you, if you read biographies of, of only a certain kind of people, then, then read a biography of someone that you wouldn't normally read. Uh, try, to, try to get something out of uh, reading or listening to something that you wouldn't normally uh, do just so you can get a different point of view, a different perspective, and, and, and it'll either maybe help confirm what you already believe, or it'll help open your mind to to something that's out there that you don't already know. I love that. What can you think? I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but can you think of something that you kind of branched outside of your typical paradigm that you either read or listened to lately that kind of made you revisit a model or a paradigm in your life? <laughs> you know, I, I mentioned, you know, watching CNN or watching Fox. I, I don't watch a lot of that stuff. But what I'll do is I will follow different people on social media and I will check out what, where they're coming from and the, and the comments they make and, and why they're making the comments that they do. Um, because the people I interact with aren't all, you know, they don't, they don't share the same brain. You know, people have different brains. People have different opinions. And so I want to know where different people are coming from. And, and so whether I agree or disagree, so, and, and uh, now I'm not going to respond to those people that I disagree with. I, I try to keep my social media completely positive uh, or as much positive as possible, but I will try to read their stuff. I'll try to see, you know, why did they put that post out there? It, it, does it come from, does it come from a good place? Like, do they really believe what they're saying? Do they have a really good rationale or are they just reactive? Are they knee-jerk uh, reaction to something? Are, are they being evil? Are they being, you know, uh, uh, mean-spirited? Uh, and so I try to follow people, not so that I get a bunch of mean-spirited stuff in my head, but so that I understand where people are coming from. Um, I, don't, I don't know if that totally answers your question, but that's something that I've been doing recently, um, is, is following more people that I wouldn't typically follow on social media. So you are a why guy. You would enjoy personality tests because you are thinking about why they're saying this thing. <laughs> <laughs> I also, I also like you know, and part of it is is uh, Machiavellian too. In that, I like to know what people are saying so that if if I am pretty set in my thinking, or if if I think I if I think a certain way, maybe I can understand where someone's coming from so that I can shoot holes in their argument better. <laughs> yeah. But you know, you know, but. At the end of the day, all that we're doing, very few of us should be in the, the habit or the, yeah, we, we shouldn't have the habit of trying to prove that we're right and someone else is wrong. We should be trying to find win-win solutions. So, you know, even if, even if you were, 
you know, you see it all the time with leaders. Um, let's say a Barack Obama and a, and a Donald Trump, you know, and, and if they were both in the room together trying to come up with something, you know, you would hope that they're trying to come up with a win-win situation and that there's some compromise, there's maybe some negotiation, there's, you know, what can we do to make things the best that we can moving forward for as many people as possible. Um, and, and that's just one little example, but, you know, that's what I would hope most people are doing. You know, sometimes I think that most people are just trying to prove that they're smarter than someone else or that they're right and someone else is wrong. And, and I would rather see how can we make it so that you're right and I'm right to a degree or you're right in something and I'm right in something and we can get a win-win. Um, and I don't think enough people do that, but I think that that's positive leadership. So, you know, I'm not trying to find out what, what holes are in their argument so that necessarily I can prove that I'm right and they're wrong, but it's just so that if, if I do end up talking to them or if I talk to somebody like them that shares their opinion, then, then I can be like, you know, well, you, you say this, but have you ever considered this? Because when you say this, the rationale maybe isn't consistent. You know, you said this in this area, but, you know, in this area, you were you were opposite of that and you weren't consistent. Have you ever thought of that? You know, but I, I definitely don't want to be in a position where I'm trying to be right and you're trying to be wrong because then automatically, you know, there's a chasm there. There's a divide between us. Yeah, we talk a lot about that. Um, I actually do parent coaching and we talk a lot about you know, one of the best things you can do is stay on the same side as your kid because um, a lot of times, you know, in parent-child conflicts, we end up kind of on different sides of that line in the sand. And anytime we can reframe a conflict so that we're on the same side, fighting against something else together, it's always way, way better. So, great. Now, I, I, just, I just thought of, uh, this is a practical, you mentioned life hack, and uh, uh, this just popped up on my computer screen, so it made me think of it. But, uh, for anyone out there that that has a, a small business or or you know something like that, and they fly a lot, um, I do a lot of flying on Southwest Airlines. But if you get the business credit card, um, you can get like sixty thousand points. And if you get a personal credit card from Southwest, you get forty thousand points. And if you get one hundred and ten thousand points, so you're only ten thousand points away you can have your spouse or somebody fly free with you for a year. We actually just did that. So my wife can fly free for a full year, but they also get the year that, that you accumulated those points. So for the next year and a half, my wife gets to fly free with me anywhere That's that I fly I on Southwest. If Southwest had a business card, because I need one, and someone had told me about the personal one recently, and I didn't know you could stack them. But that's yes, there's there's two levels of personal card, but uh, you know it's something like if you spend a thousand bucks in the first three months, which most of us do, yeah, uh, and you get you get yeah. those forty thousand points. But then the business card, yeah, the business card is three thousand dollars for three months. So essentially, if you average a thousand a month on your business you get those 60,000 points. Um, and, and you also, you also then can use those points for free flights anyway. So even if you, right. you know, even if you zero out those, that your total of 110,000 points, if you zero those out, it still counts toward your companion pass. So essentially you're double dipping on the points. Um, but my wife can fly free anywhere. Um, so if you do it at, toward the start of the year, like we did, we did it, you know, we just accomplished it here in March. So we get the remainder of this year plus a full calendar year. So if you fly a lot, that's a great deal. And uh, I highly recommend that. And I'm a Southwest snob, so I, I fly Southwest all the time. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan too. I'm, I know someone tried to convince me out of it recently, but I don't know. I'm, I think I'm kind of in a rut, and, I, and it's a good rut. I'm, I'm okay there, so... Yeah, and I'm 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 shilling for uh, Southwest Airlines. I don't get any affiliate, or I'm not a sponsor. They don't sponsor me at all. But it, you know, you talk about a hack. That's a way that you can save a lot of money, and uh, from a family standpoint, you know, you can you can travel with your wife. So we were even talking. I just got back from Las Vegas for some business, and uh, you know, I was saying, you know, we we need to go out there for a couple of different weekends at different times because I can get free hotel rooms, and now you can fly free. So. For just a couple hundred bucks plus food, you know, we can go to Vegas for a weekend, you know, and, and the flight is typically the most expensive thing to Las Vegas or almost anywhere. So, you know, if you can get that covered. So that's that's something that your listeners might want to check out if they're in business. Yeah, that's awesome. Amazing. All right. Well, Jamie, 
thanks so much for sharing your story, for being vulnerable, for putting all that stuff out there. Um, I know you already mentioned your podcast, but where else are you hanging out on the web and on social media where people can find you? Yeah, my website's coachbeckler.com, and uh, they can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at coachbeckler. And uh, the, the podcast is successisachoicepodcast.com. And, and we have, I would, I would challenge people, if they listen to podcasts, they're going to be able to find somebody that we've had that probably interests them. So they go to that site and they'll see their picture and they'll see, you know, the name and, and what the person does, like what they're known for. So you can just scroll through and find someone that might be of interest to you. And, and we have all different kinds uh, of, of people from all different kinds of areas and industries. Yeah, and go ahead and spell your name for people. Just so that yeah, the last person. yeah the last name is B E C H L E R. So it looks like Bachelor, but it's pronounced Beckler. And and my first name is Jamie, but it's spelled J A M Y. My uh, my dad and mom were totally in agreement what my name would be, but they never discussed how to spell it. And so when we were at the hospital, I I appeared. Uh, a few minutes later, my dad was out in the hallway and the nurse was doing the birth certificate and asked my dad how to spell my name. And he said, I don't know. I guess it's just Amy with a J. Oh, that's so great. Well, that is a phenomenal note to wrap up on. So again, thanks so much for sharing part of your afternoon with me. And it was really fun to get to know you a little bit better and to hear your story. Well, thanks, Melissa. It was, it was great uh, chatting with you, and you're, you're doing great work on your podcast. Keep it up, and uh, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk with me today. So there you have it. Brutal honesty about coaching, leadership, and adoption. Listening to Jamie, I'm challenged to examine my coachability stats. I'm pretty sure my husband would tell you that there's lots of room for improvement. What's your biggest takeaway from our conversation? Join me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. I'm at M.A. Corkum. You can use the hashtag TheUncorkedPodcast. I'll also have links to Jamie's website, podcast, and social media at the show notes page at www.thecorkums.com. Thanks so much for listening. Next week, my new friend Courtney shares her journey of more heartache than any mama should ever endure. You will be in awe of her steadfast faith, so don't miss it.